uh, to James chapter 3, and then to Ephesians, briefly, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. I hope this series, uh, this series that we've entitled uh, The Life of a Pilgrim, has been one that has been encouraging and helpful and convicting for you. I know it has been for me. You guys spend 30 minutes with this sermon. I have spent uh, more than that, uh, several hours with the sermon. And so that's a privilege that I have. And these have been reminders that my forgetful heart has needed. And this morning is no exception. We've looked so far at the sins of anxiety, we've looked at the sin of discontentment, and we've been reminded that it's the power of the gospel that frees us from slavery to our fears, from slavery to our wants and desires, and that is indeed good news for us. As pilgrims, we're called to be different. We're given grace to be different, to live differently, to think differently. To show the world what it is that we were created to be. Well, today we turn to a common struggle for us all once again. The sins of the tongue. The sins of our mouth. The sins of our speech. And of course, this is indeed one of those areas in our lives that is central if we're going to be serious about moving towards holiness in the Lord. The Bible has so much to say about our tongues, about our speech, about the words that we speak. And so this week for me has kind of been like holding that huge burger and just not knowing where to take a bite. You can't really get your mouth around it where would be good to start. And so this morning we really just scratch the surface of the subject, a subject that deserves an o- its own series in and of itself. But I trust and I pray that these will be good reminders for your heart this morning. Listen as I read James chapter 3, the first 12 verses, and then Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 29, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also is the tongue. So also the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. 
for every beast, every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. This is the word of the Lord. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Ever heard that phrase? Talk is cheap, they say. Familiar phrases in our world, familiar quotes, but ones that frankly aren't true. (laughs) Words do hurt. Words do have power. We know that from our own experience, and we are reminded of that this morning by God in His Word. And yet I believe that that speaking, that, that careful speaking in our lives is one of those things that we so easily lose sight of. Sure, we are sensitive about the avoidance of harsh and and dirty words, but beyond that, how intentional are we all, are we about the things that we say? How intentional are we about our speech, especially in those small, mundane moments of our lives? You see, I think our careless words Careless words are one of those respectable, one of those refined sins that we often carry around, even in the church. So for the next few minutes, I want to think about these two passages. And I want to think about them, framing them around three truths, three simple but profound truths from God's Word about the way that we talk about the way that we communicate. And the first one is this. Your words wield incredible power. Your words wield incredible power. If you're a parent, this is something that likely you have preached again and again and again in your home, as words are thrown around like daggers, as they are wielded like swords in your midst, you have reminded 
your children that their words carry power. James 3 is this classic passage that teaches this, that reminds us of this, and yet it's one that is so easy, I think, for us to forget. But James 3 is complete with its own illustrations that remind us that our words matter. And it's really a truth that goes back to the beginning of our Bibles. It goes back all the way to Genesis chapter 1, for it is speaking, it is our words that serves as one of those things that sets us apart from the rest of creation, from all of creation. Our speech is one of those image-bearing qualities of our Maker. A Maker who speaks. And Genesis 1 is all about God speaking and things happening. God speaks and it happens. God pronounces good and it is so. God blesses and it is blessed. Now as much as we'd like to speak and have things happen like that, we are not God, but we are like God in this way. When we speak, something happens. Our words are never meaningless. They may be foolish, but they always do something. They always do something. And often, they do harm. There was a time when our words were only good. It was a time when our first parents spoke and what they said to each other, what they said to God was what ought to have been said, was what was appropriate, what was good to be said. And that was the case, of course, until Genesis chapter 3. As words were at the heart of creation, as God spoke and it was, as God spoke us into being and we were, as God gave us speech to create. As it was words that was at the heart of our creation, it was words that was at the heart of our demise as well. For Genesis 3 accounts how God had spoken definitively and with absolute goodness and then the evil one comes and what does he do? He spins those words. Did God actually say? Our first parents doubted. They doubted the truth of God's word. They plunged us into ruin. And now we sit here having to be careful about what we say. Because no longer do we say what we ought to say in every situation. See, Satan has succeeded. He had used the, the power of his own words to create havoc, to plague our speech every single day. And so now our words have power not just to create, but to have destructive power. So James 3 jumps into this discussion and uses these vivid illustrations both positively and negatively. Positively, he brings to our minds these images of a, of a bit 
that you put in the horse of a mouth, a rudder that controls a ship, two things that are so small in compared to the powerful thing that they control. Draw on the analogy that your tongue, your speech, your mouth is so small in relative to what it controls. And then negatively, he brings to mind this idea of a fire, a small fire that sets a whole forest ablaze. Now, I don't know which one of these illustrations is most vivid to you as you think about, again, the fact that your words wield incredible power. But for me, it's the last one that is the most vivid. Before moving here, so over two years ago, we lived in Southern California for 11 years and lived through two horrific wildfires in San Diego County. In 2003, the Cedar Fire, which is the largest wildfire ever in California history, came very close to our home, within miles of our home. It was a fire that burned 280,000 acres. It was a fire that destroyed over 2,000 homes. It was a horrific couple weeks. The smell of ash and smoke didn't leave the air for weeks upon weeks. A horrific fire started by one small signal fire set by a hunter lost in the wilderness. One small fire set ablaze. James reminds us that our words wield incredible power. That's the first simple point for us this morning, is that we remember this, that we recognize the power of what we say. And when we recognize that something holds power, we take care that we not misuse that power. That's the first thing. The second truth I want us to think about is this, and it moves us to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. The second truth is this, your words, these words that wield incredible power, your words naturally serve you. Your words naturally serve you. See, what is the natural bent of our speech? It is what we would call me talk. Satan introduced us and encouraged us and ushered us in to a war in the Garden of Eden with our first parents. A war between the kingdom of self and the kingdom of God. Last Friday, we, some of us met for uh, a discussion on marriage. And this issue came up in marriages, the kingdom of self versus the kingdom of God. In our communication, the kingdom of self 
versus the kingdom of God. You see, our tendency in our brokenness, our propensity in our sin is to naturally use words that make us look good. That put us on top. So we need to recognize this this morning. We need to guard against this this morning. Not just that, but we need to recognize that this is a battle in our hearts. Those of you who were here last week, I stressed the fact that contentment, as we looked at contentment in the call to contentment in our lives, has little to do with the circumstances in our lives and everything to do with our hearts and how we deal with those circumstances. And when we think about contentment, it is largely for us an internal conflict. Not always, but Largely at times, we can keep that conflict inside of us. We can be discontent and hide it from those around us. But the thing about our words, the thing about our speech, speech that wields power, speech that naturally serves us, is that our words come out. Our words come out, and when they do, they reveal what's inside of our hearts. So Jesus said in Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Such an important verse for us to think about as we think about the power of our speech. Our hearts must be changed. This isn't strategies for speaking better. This is the Gospel. The need for the Gospel to be embraced, to be internalized, to be lived out of. And so if you're here this morning and you have a wake of casualties in your life, of those who you have beaten down and torn down with your words, the only hope for you is to have a changed heart, a redeemed heart. And if you're here and you've been striving to walk with the Lord for years and years, your only hope at transformed speech is to once again recognize the Gospel and your need for redeemed, changed heart. I know it's a theme that we've come back to again and again because it's a theme that as a pilgrim, as striving to live as a follower of Christ, is striving to put off some of these respectable sins that we've put on. We, we can't do it without the Gospel. And so it's a redeemed heart that changes our love for self and slowly pushes us to have a love for God, to have a love for others. Slowly pushes us and moves us from seeking first my kingdom to seeking first the kingdom of God. Our words reveal what we worship. I want to read a quote to you that I found as I was reading this week in preparation to think about our words. 
This writer says, our words reflect our attempt to get what we want or frustrations when we fail. A husband yells at his wife because she's taking too long to get ready. A mom yells at her daughter over her messy room. A son complains that his clothes make him look like a geek. A toddler throws a fit when he does not get to visit his favorite toy store. Or a father blows up because he can't find his newspaper. All of this communication focuses on the physical world and flows out of hearts that worship and serve creation more than the Creator. We subtly deify the creation and forget the Father's will and glory. Such a great quote. God's agenda in these moments is fundamentally spiritual. He will permit situations to push our buttons. He wants our heart sins to be revealed because we need to see them in order to repent. And so if we were to think back, if we were to play back our conversations, our words of the past week, maybe even of this morning, what would they reveal about what we worship? What would they reveal about the state of our hearts? Brothers and sisters, we need to recognize that this battle is for our hearts. That you have the promise, that you have the power to put off and to put on. And that's the context of Ephesians chapter 4, of this this one verse, Ephesians 4.29, a very familiar verse that we've looked at very briefly years ago when I first came and we preached through the book of Ephesians. But Ephesians 4.22 talks about putting off the old self. Ephesians 4.24, putting on the new self. And so, if we're to think in that vein, if we're to think about me talk, Paul says, put off corrupting talk. Put off corrupting talk. Our English translations translate this word in different ways. The NIV translates it as unwholesome. Kind of gives, brings to mind, at least for me, kind of a leave it to beaver moment. Anything that that wouldn't be said or shouldn't be said in a black and white sitcom is unwholesome. The RSV takes it even a step further and says, evil. I think corrupting what our ESV does, what most of you have, is actually a good translation. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Luke 6 and Matthew 7 when he speaks of a tree and its fruit, and that some fruit is bad fruit, is rotten fruit. That's the image. Don't let any corrupting talk, don't let any rotten talk come out of your mouths. I couldn't help but think of my mom's vivid illustration of this for me when I was, ki- when I was a kid. When I lied, I was led to the bathroom. This is old school. Get the bar of soap. Pop that bar of soap in my mouth. 
And I never forgot that my mouth at that moment was filthy. That it needed to be cleaned. See, the natural heart is bent towards certain types of speech. We could go in in a number of different directions here as we talk about putting off corrupting talk. We could talk about quarrelsome words. James says in James chapter 4, you desire and you do not have. That causes fights and quarrels among you. That's a great topic to talk about how conflict arises out of our hearts and our selfishness. We could talk about the third commandment. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says the third commandment requires the holy and reverent use of God's names, titles, attributes, ordinances, word, and works. We could talk about how our speech so easily abuses that commandment. Taking the Lord's name in vain, belittling the things that are real and that hold gravity or should hold gravity in our lives. Philippians 4 says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, think on these things. We could talk about the vulgarity of our speech, but I don't want to talk about any of those. I want to talk about gossip. I want to talk about the kind of speech that is often preferenced with the phrases, have you heard? Did you know? Guess what I found out. You see, this I fear as we think about putting off. This I fear is the respectable sin in our midst. We deceive ourselves. And under the guise of love and concern, under the guise even sometimes of prayer, We speak about one another and we listen to those who do. Proverbs 18.8 says, The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down to the inner parts of the body. There are lots of different things we could talk about in terms of our talk, in terms of the fact that our talk naturally serves us. But I think one of the things that we in the church need to hear most is the need to put off the corrupting talk of gossip. We could have gone to a number of different Proverbs, to a number of different passages, to hear the warnings about talk that would be termed gossip. As I was reading this week, I read an author who had several questions that she called gospel filters. I thought they were helpful for us as we think about this, as we strive for this. Before you speak, first ask the question, is what I'm going to say edifying? Is it instructive? Is it encouraging? Is it uplifting? We'll get to that in a minute. Ask, do I have permission to share what I know? 
saying, I don't think he would mind, is not permission. Ask yourself, is it necessary? Ask yourself, will someone be hurt by it? Often we say, I'm not telling you anything that I wouldn't tell them directly. Well, if that's the case, then go tell them directly. And then finally, will it glorify the Lord? See, the call of the Scriptures this morning, the call of God this morning, in regards to the power of our tongue, is to put off this kind of speech. Speech that I fear is so prevalent in the church. And I'm not saying specifically Ascension Presbyterian Church. I'm not singling out this congregation as opposed to other congregations. This is a struggle for all of us. Which is why under this guise, under this series of respectable sins, I put this before us once again. And I think when I preached on Ephesians chapter 4, and we looked at this verse briefly uh, years ago, that I read what was, what is a helpful covenant, a helpful commitment. The previous church that I served at, we had a covenant of church membership, and in that covenant was a paragraph about how we speak to one another. And I want to read it to you. I've read it to you before. Many of you weren't here last time I read it, so let me read it to you again. May this be our commitment to each other. It says, by God's help and grace, I commit myself to the goal of giving only good reports, of refusing to listen to bad reports, of refusing to pass on bad reports to others. If there are policies and decisions made by the elders or deacons with which I disagree or don't understand, I will go to the officers and make my concerns known to them rather than going to others with the possibility of sowing seeds of dissension and division. If someone in the body has offended me, I promise to remain silent, allowing love to cover a multitude of sins or to go to the person privately and to seek reconciliation. I purpose to approach an offender in a spirit of gentleness and genuine love, having first corrected my own attitudes and actions. Only if I am unable to restore an offender will I share the problem with others in accordance with the principles of Matthew 18. And when I violate this goal, I purpose to ask forgiveness of my brother or sister and of the Lord, knowing that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. By doing these things, I will seek to promote harmony, unity, love, and peace in our church. What a great commitment, what a great gospel commitment for us to internalize, to think about this morning as we're reminded of the power of our words and their tendency to focus on us. One last truth I want us to think of this morning out of these verses, and it's simply this. God has a mission for your mouth. God has a mission for your mouth. 
Seems like professional athletes are finding this out every week. Not God's mission, but they're finding out that the words that they speak, the tweets that they make, are representative not just of them as individuals, but representative of whatever organization, whatever league they are a part of. And so they're getting slapped with fines and with suspensions. You see, in the same way he who died for us, died that we might no longer live for ourselves, that we might no longer speak for ourselves, but speak for Him. Speak for the King. And so just as we have been bought at a price, so our mouths have been bought at a price. And too easily we forget this and we're not purposeful with the words that we speak. And so I want to move away from the negative aspect of putting off. And what do we put on? What do we put on as pilgrims desirous to speak in a way that honors our King? Well, let me begin by saying we need to start by slowing down. By speaking less. By listening more. The book of Proverbs is a treasure trove on this subject. Proverbs 10.19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 15.28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Proverbs 29.20, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. One of the first practical ways for us to speak is to not speak. Is to slow down. To listen. To be purposeful about our words. And then what is that purpose when our words do come out? Ephesians 4.29 says it. The purpose is to build up. Again, Proverbs 11.25, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. And so our words, people of God, need to be words that refresh. Words that give grace. Another quote I read, When our hearts are empty of praise for others, it's probably because our hearts are full of love for self. Love for and a focus on others means we will ask the question in our minds or out loud, what does this person need? What do they need to hear in this moment? Do they need to be encouraged by the words that I speak? Do they need to be rebuked by the words that I speak? Do they simply need to be praised by the word, words I speak? And it, frankly, sometimes I know that you feel this way. I feel this way sometimes. You don't know what to say. And so sometimes it's not words that are needed. It's not counsel that is needed. 
It's simply prayer that's needed. Sometimes the greatest words that we can speak to one another, whether within the body of Christ or with those around us, are words of prayer. Words of petition. It's estimated that the average person has something like 30 or over 30 conversations a day. 25,000 words are spoken by the average person every day. And the challenge for us this morning, the thing I want us to think about today and this week is, what are those words accomplishing? Are those words building up? Does the aroma of Christ linger in the air after conversations that we've had with those around us? Are people refreshed by the things that we have said to them? It's a super practical challenge for us as the people of God. Our words have power. And though they naturally serve us, they are intended to serve another. So may we be people of restraint. May we be people of affirmation. May we be people of love. May we be people of gentleness in the way that we speak to each other, in the way that we speak for our King. All to the end of All looking to the end when the Lord Jesus comes back and says those final words of affirmation to us. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word this morning. For the simple reminder of the power of what we say. Of the natural bent of our hearts. Lord, may we be a people renewed this morning by the teaching of Your Word who are careful, who are intentional to speak words of grace, to speak words of healing, to speak words of love. And we recognize that that only can come from hearts that have been truly changed, that have been truly gripped by the Gospel. And so do that again this morning as we turn to the table. Do that through the supper as we meet, as we commune, as we feed on our Savior by faith. This we pray in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.